Chapter 4 The Saturday Hop My father, Michael, didn't take after me Grandad Albert. No running off to work in the early hours of the morning for him. He hated work, though he always says it's because work hated him. Nothing ever seemed to go right for him. He was always in some sort of trouble. At home, if his little sister Maureen fell over or lost anything, or anything got broken, somehow it was always Michael's fault. Granny Dorothy was glad to get him off her hands and into the little local school, and it was the same story there. If a window was smashed, Michael always happened to be standing near it at the time. If he went into the yard and found two lads fighting, he got the blame. One of the last things he did before leaving school was to receive a mug for the coronation in 1953 and to drop it on the way home. Then he knew that not only were his parents, his sister, all the teachers at school and most of the local shopkeepers against him, but Queen Elizabeth II was as well. His father got him a job at his own steelworks, labouring, and in a month he'd lost it for shouting at the foreman for picking on him. Albert said he was a disgrace to the family. Michael gave up then. He didn't even try to get another job. His mother was on the sick herself by that time, wheezing up a legacy of dust from her buffer girl days. She certainly couldn't be doing with him sprawled round all day. He used to sit and read American comics with his long legs stretched halfway across the room, right into the fireplace, and she could neither get round him nor over him to get on with her household chores. She used to shove him out if she could, soon after Maureen had gone off to work, and tell him not to come back home till he'd found himself a job. You'll finish up a dirty old man with no stamps on your card, she'd say, and then what'll become of you, Michael? You'll see, Mum, he'd say. I'll be leaving home soon enough, and I'll travel all round the world. Then you'll be sorry. You'll miss me then, when I'm on the other side of the world. She'd shake her head and smile at him. You've got a lot to learn, Michael, she'd say. A lot of growing up to do. He'd slam out of the house, angry at her, angry at himself, and make his way down to El Mambo's coffee bar and listen to the jukebox. He was never on his own there. There were always plenty of other lads who didn't work, or wouldn't, or couldn't, and they'd all be there, drinking coffee and dreaming about better things. America, that's where we should be, his friend Alan would say, cleaning his fingernails with the teeth of his comb. Not Attercliffe. Girls they were after. Not jobs. That was something else that Michael had never had any success with finding a girlfriend. Alan kept bringing girls down to El Mambo's to meet him, but they never liked him. He didn't like them either, for that matter, though it would never have occurred to him to admit that. They didn't like him because he wasn't worth having, and that was that. I'm a freak of nature, he'd say to his face in the mirror over the fireplace when no one else was at home, and I'm still wearing school clothes and my trouser legs are too short. That's why they don't like me. Maureen tried to take him in hand. She managed to get him a job at the factory where she worked. It was only for an hour a day, sweeping up round the gardens, but it brought him in enough to buy himself some clothes. He wanted to be kitted up by his 18th birthday. He hid his new clothes in Alan's bicycle shed, ready for the big day. He'd come out on parade, he'd be one of the lads, and he'd show himself off 
at the Saturday hop. He brought his jeans home one night when his mum was out at a whisk drive and his dad was on night shift. They weren't right. Fill up the bath for me, he told Maureen. They still hadn't a bathroom in their house. Maureen did as she was told while Michael made the fire. Her mother always filled the bath for Albert. That was the way things were done. When the bath was ready, Michael undid his shoes and took off his socks and stepped in. There he sat, fully dressed, steaming gently, and reading his comics by the firelight. Hey, what are you doing that for? asked Maureen. Shrinking me trousers, he said. They're too flappy. Your legs will turn blue, you know, she said. In a far corner, she was discreetly painting her own legs with Bisto. Nylons were far too expensive. They didn't share much, Michael and Maureen. Privately, she thought he was quite nice looking, but as lazy as a cat. He thought of her as a kid. All she ever did was clean her teeth. As soon as he'd finished with the bath, Michael left Maureen to empty it out and slopped down to Alan's in his soggy jeans. Alan was still having his tea, and Michael dripped on the step while he talked to him. You can't come in here, Alan's mother said. Look at you! You've got blue puddles all over my nice clean step. I've come to see if you fancy going to the hop on Saturday, he shouted to Alan. Alan winked at him. Course I am. Eh, and I fixed thee up with your smashing bird for it and all. She's a right cracker. You said that last time. Mike took a shoe off and shook the blue water out of it. She was horrible, that last one. She had nits nesting in that beehive hairdo. She can't have combed her hair for weeks. Alan came to the door with his plate and another fork for Mike. Well, listen, smart, I can promise thee. She's my new girl's best pal from work, and she's a right little queen. You mean you haven't seen her? Well, not exactly, no, but stop worrying, I tell thee. She's a right cracker. Mike helped himself to a chip. She better be, he said. It's my birthday on Saturday. I'll bring thee a paper out to wear then, said Alan. It'll look smart with her new jacket thou's got. He didn't wake up till twelve on the day of his birthday. His mother brought him a cup of tea. She watched him while he slept, thinking how like Albert he was, and how much he frowned in his sleep, too. He wasn't a happy boy, she thought. It was a shame. Boys should be happy. Come on, she said. Up. She sat and drank her own cup of tea while he dressed himself. Thin as a spider, she thought. What are you going to do to celebrate your birthday? She asked. I'm going to the Saturday op, he said. We Alan? Dorothy didn't like Alan, but she kept quiet about it. I went to a dance on my birthdays, she said. I think I was seventeen. I went to a ball. Oh, I? Mike combed his hair back into a quiff like Alan's. Did you meet your handsome Prince Charming? I did, she said, mysterious, and he turned round to look at her, echoing her smile with his own. I bet you were the prettiest girl there, he said rashly. I was, she said. She held her arms up in a ballroom pose and put her right hand in his and her other hand on his waist. Hey, Mom, don't, he squirmed. She was miles away. Oh, how we danced on the night of the ball, 
she sang. Come on, Michael, pick your big feet up. La 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 la. Mother, leave off. Laughing, he pushed away from her and trod on his cup of tea. He sat on the bed, head in his hands, while Dorothy picked the bits up. That was another thing. He didn't know how to dance. That night, he slipped out while his dad was in the middle of a row with Maureen. She'd come downstairs in a new polka dot skirt, rustling along in five or six stiff net petticoats. It wasn't easy for her to sneak out with all that noise going on, but Mike couldn't resist making it harder for her. Actually, he'd never seen her looking so pretty. Pooh, he said. You smell like the allotments. Shut up! It's Devonshire violets, she hissed. She tossed back her ponytail that showed off her slim white neck, and he saw that she had makeup on. Where are you off to, tarted up like that? That was what made Albert look up from his football pools and start shouting. He ordered her to scrub herself clean at the kitchen sink, and Dorothy rushed to the girl's defence and said she'd promised her she could stay out till the ten o'clock bus. And then Maureen burst into tears and said she'd never get a boyfriend at this rate, and that she was only going out with Barbara anyway. And in the hullabaloo that followed, Mike crept out. He closed the door on the din and sauntered up the street in the evening sunshine. Hey, I'm glad I'm not a lass any road. Down at the bike shed, Alan had his clothes ready for him. Bright pink socks, bootlace tie, blue shoes with two-inch crepe soles, and his newest prize that he'd dreamed about for nine whole weeks, a pale blue drape jacket with a velvet collar. How do I look? He squinted at himself in a mirror on Alan's handlebars. Oh, Gior, said Alan. Come on, kid, we'll miss him. He set off at a running pace with Mike doing his best to keep up with him without spoiling the rest of his brilliantine quiff. They were early at the meeting place, which gave him a chance to eye himself in the shop windows and to do a few practice slouches. Lasses have come, Alan said. Gior preening the send the great peacock. Mike could hear the quick clack of the girls' heels on the pavement and their nervous giggles. He gave his bootlace a last tug and stuck his fists in his pockets out of the way. Alan elbowed him. Hey, what did I tell thee? A right pair of crackers. That little un's thars, lass in spotty frock. Mike turned, pale already, and looked down into the frightened face of his sister, Maureen. It was only because she wouldn't stop blowing her nose or running after him in her new clicky shoes that Mike slowed his furious pace down the moor and let her catch up with him. Stop roaring, Mo. I can't help it. What can I do? Barbara's gone off to the hop without Alan. How can I go back home now, Mike, at this time? After all the trouble I had getting out and all. And I thought I was going out with a nice young man from Totley. Totley? That's what Barbara told me. And it turns out to be you. And you turn out to be a teddy boy. Her voice rose in a howl of disappointment. Mike looked round anxiously. Hey, shut it, will you? How do you think I feel? I was told I'd be dating a real little smasher. Oh, heck, shut up. He swung off again and she clicked after him. Tell you what, he said at last. I'll take you into the hop. Provided you don't tell any of the lads that you're my sister. 
Oh, thanks, Mike. And I won't tell Dad you've turned into a Ted if you don't tell him that Barbara went off without me. The bargain was struck, and they arrived at the Locarno, which was already throbbing with the sound of the band and the smell of sweaty bodies. The manager didn't like Ted's, but he let them in because Maureen looked so worried and because Mike emptied his pockets willingly to show that he hadn't any flick knives hidden. As soon as they were inside, Mike bought Maureen a glass of sarsaparilla and told her to get lost till half past nine. She spotted some of her friends from work and went over to the row of chairs that the girls sat in, down one side of the hall. Mike joined the row of lads on the opposite side and eyed up the talent. The lighting wasn't too good, but he spotted one that he fancied. A little clean-looking girl with a dark ponytail, a bit like Maureen, really. He sauntered across to her when the band struck up again and wandered up and down in front of her for a bit, giving her a chance to notice him and also tuning into the conversation she was having with her friends, waiting for his moment. I see you wearing your pointed bra, said one. They're uncomfortable, aren't they? But you have to wear one here. You know what happened to me last week, don't you? His girl said. I was dancing with this fella and we got into a right tight clinch in the quick step. And when the dance finished, guess what? What, Jennifer? There were two dints in his jumper where the points of my bra had gone in. And guess what? What? I'd gone right flat. I had to go after the ladies and push my points out again. The girls babbled on. Mike grinned. Jennifer. She'd do. Uh. Excuse me, he said. The girls froze. Do you want this dance? They turned away. Jennifer cast him half a smile. Mike hated this bit. His collar was too tight all of a sudden. His hands were too big. His socks were too bright. His spots blazed. Come on, it's a nice one, this. Jennifer looked past him. I'm with Lucy. A friend bent down and picked up a handbag. Don't bother about me. I'm sweating. I was just going to powder my nose anyway. Jennifer shook her head at her. I'm not dancing with him, she mouthed, wrinkling her nose. Mike gave her back a half smile and slouched back to the lad's side. She want my type, he told Alan. He stood glum, watching the couples dancing wondering why he bothered putting himself through this misery. Can't see what all this fuss is about, he thought. Alan's partner, Barbara, had gone off with a clean lad in a suit, but it didn't seem to bother Alan. He seemed to be able to dance with any girl he picked on. It was easy for him. Mike had a bit of a cold still from wandering round in wet trousers the other day. He wondered if that had anything to do with it. The girls were like flowers in their bright dresses and perfume tantalising and confusing with their smiles. He thought of himself suddenly as a little boy, trapping butterflies in his fist and holding them there till their wings stopped fluttering, and of the cold kind of horror he'd felt when he'd let them drop from his hand, wishing they'd dance again. But here he was, with an itchy cold sore, trapped in a game he didn't know how to play, and still in his heart of hearts, wanting to dance with Jennifer. He was just about to stroll across to her side and try again, when he was distracted by a sudden commotion up at the other end of the room, near the band. 
The girls rushed over to join a ring of spectators. Jennifer turned her head, obviously, Mike thought, to see if he was coming, and he risked a wink at her. She giggled something to her friend. I'm all right here, Mike thought. I'm sure I am. Perhaps she'll let me buy her a glass of pop in a bit. I won't rush it, though. Then he saw that Alan was lying on the floor, wrapped round a lad in a leather jacket, and that Barbara was blowing her nose and being comforted by Maureen. This was a bit more like it. Come on, Alan, he shouted, proud of his friend. The manager and another large man picked up the two fighters as if they were no heavier than a couple of cats and dragged them right across the dance floor and out through the doors at the far end. Barbara ran after them, blushing to the roots of her hair, and Maureen clicked after her, carrying both their handbags. The band played on, but nobody moved. They were all straining to catch what was being said behind the doors. Then the lad in the new suit, who'd been dancing with Maureen earlier on, dashed out and came back in with her, and everyone sighed. Mike decided he'd better tell Jennifer that Maureen was his sister, in case she'd seen them coming in together. It wouldn't do to let her think he'd been jilted. He felt a hand on his shoulder. And you can get out and all, the manager said to him. Everyone turned, interested. Me? I haven't done out. I'm sick of Ted's. I don't like Ted's. I'm not having any more Ted's in here. But I'm not with him. I don't even know him. I told you. Out. It's the first time I've worn this jacket. Out. I've got to see my sister home. Now. One. Two. Mike soon caught up with Alan. I couldn't let you go home on your own, he panted. I just got myself fixed up with a smashing bird, too. He changed back into his old clothes in Alan's shed. Alan had got blood all down his jacket. Do you think that Maureen will wash that off for me? He asked, dabbing his nose. Course she will, Mike promised. No trouble. He trudged back home, too fed up even to call in for some chips on the way. As he passed his kitchen window, he saw his dad's head bob up from reading the paper, and he groaned to himself. More rows. He kicked the bin on his way past it. But his dad came right to the door to meet him, beaming, and slapped him on the back. I'm glad you got back before I slipped out for me pint, Michael, he said. There were a letter for you this morning, and I clean forgot to give it you with Maureen's carrying on. Yeah. Open it up, then. It's full of good news. Mike took the brown envelope from him and turned it over delicately. Have you been drinking a summit? No, I tell thee, I was on my way out. Tell you what. When you've read this, I'll take thee down for a pint. You deserve it. Alan laughed again, full of himself. What's the big joke, Dad? No joke. Open the letter. You seem to know all about it. Have you been reading it a summit? Mike still couldn't bring himself to open it. He wasn't used to getting letters. His dad took it off him and ripped it open. Course I know all about it. I've been expecting this coming for weeks, and so have you. It's your call-up papers. Mike sat down, feeling ill. Call-up? National service? How could he have forgotten that? All the lads went into the forces at eighteen. 
It had been on his mind since he left school. And now, today of all days, it had come. Some birthday present. Her Majesty's services. Good old Queen Elizabeth II. I don't want to go into the army, he muttered. Don't want to go away from home. Don't want to get hurt. It'll make a man of you, you'll see, said Albert. Come on, Michael, don't look so miserable. This is a big day for you. And for us, eh, Dolly? We'll have him off our hands at last. He thumped him across the back again, a bit too hard, his voice a bit too loud for joking. Let's go and have a pint on it. But Mike felt more like crying than celebrating. He didn't want to be a man yet. He wanted to have a bit of fun first. He looked across to his mother for support. You have to go. That's that, she said. You look nice with your hair cut. He fingered his quiff. Miserable. And that uniform will suit you. You always said you wanted to travel, love. Albert went off to the pub on his own, and Dorothy took the papers out of Mike's hand, folded them back into the envelope, and stuck them behind the clock on the mantelpiece. She made him a cup of cocoa. He took it up to his room, and while it was cooling, he took down all of his model planes and put them in a carton for Alan's little brother. He lay in bed listening to his mother moving round, setting the table for breakfast and making her own way to bed. He heard Maureen clicking up the street and soft footsteps following her down the passage. He prized open the window and listened to her giggling. I can hear you snogging, he shouted. Her footsteps clicked into the kitchen and her young man ran off up the street. Albert came home and Mike heard their low voices murmuring as Maureen made him a drink and told him about the hop. He lay for a long time, listening to the house sounds settling down and the tomcat yowling along the yard walls. He hid his face under his pillow, and when at last he fell asleep, he dreamed that Jennifer had danced with him. Eh, hey, I did feel sorry for you in those days, Michael. Granny Dorothy laughed. You were so thin and long and miserable. You didn't know a thing about life. Not a thing. Did you ever see Jennifer again? I asked. Dad winked at me, Mum. Many a time, he said. Still do, don't I, Josie? I owe a lot to Jennifer. But I think I owe even more to Lucy Cragwell. <laughs>